everybody. I'm Pastor AJ Houseman, and welcome to 10 Foot Pole, a podcast to dig deeper into aspects of the Bible that get glossed over or totally ignored in most preaching. The Bible has a lot of parts that are racy, uncomfortable, and sometimes downright horrifying. Let's talk about it. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 9. Our uh, guest for today is Pastor Melissa Whipple, who is the is your title campus pastor or campus chaplain? Campus pastor for now. Great. At Bethany College, which is somewhere in Kansas. Lindsborg, Kansas. That place. <laughs> I forgot to ask you that before we start. I'm really good at that usually. Um, this is awesome. So this is a new call for you. Um, so Pastor Melissa is... New and old, so to Bethany campus. So you are the new campus pastor, um, but you're also an alumni. Yes, yeah. So graduated in 2015. Um, so it's yeah. good and weird and like familiar and unfamiliar to be back. Um, so, but, sounds like kind of uh, awesome. Like less than 10 years getting, uh, you know, into a, a cool campus ministry job. Yes, yes, I am definitely excited about it, and Good. you know, for a second call, like, pretty pumped about that too. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Well, good. Well, congratulations to that, and hope uh, moving went well. It happened. I, it's I done. Hear you. <laughs> I hear you. You know, you know. <laughs> well, this move was our worst move ever. Uh, you know, you throw a baby into the mix, and all of a sudden, shit gets really hard really fast. Yes, and you suddenly need, like, ten more people to be around. Yeah, and, you know, she also just got really clingy and wouldn't let any, literally anyone else besides me hold her. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm not helping anymore, so, um, good luck. <laughs> Have Anyways. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, Bible. Bible. We could talk about the Bible. Uh, so Pastor Melissa and I are going to talk about uh, Micah. Um, so if you are a person who goes to church on Sunday, you will hear this as the Old Testament reading on Sunday, January 29th, uh, 2023. It is Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Um, we don't we don't talk about the Old Testament enough. I actually had made it one of my 2023, uh, well... 2022 sort of ish preaching goals that I was going to spend more time preaching, uh, in the old Testament. And then I don't preach regularly. So, um, it makes it a little harder, but that was, that was one of my goals. <laughs> uh, cause we don't, these are like, this is like a part of the Bible. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know it's there. Um, when I read this, you're going to hear something that's familiar. Like everyone's going to be like, Oh yeah, I know that. And I, the verse that you're going to know is probably the only verse that most people have ever heard from the book of Micah. Um, and, and I think that that is something we hear a lot about, um, you know, a lot of Old Testament books, right? Like we can pick out a couple of verses here or there that are popular to quote, um, and that's about it. And so we never yes. talk about the whole actual, like, story um, of the people that these these prophets and these histories follow. Anyway, so we're going to dive into that, but first I'm going to go ahead um, and read it. So this is Micah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8, and I'm going to read the New Revised, version st New Revised Standard Version Updated Edition. 
Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the case of the Lord, and you enduring fountains of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? In what have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt, and I redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what King Balak of Moab devised when Balaam, son of Beor, answered him? And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, that was loaded. Yes, and I I feel like this reading sort of starts the way, unfortunately, um, Christians are like taught to think about this section of the Bible. Um, Ooh, tell that, me more about you know, that. I tried to do yeah. it dramatically, like give it the most dramatic. Yes, um, yes. That... Um, Again, out of context, you, it just seems like there's this angry dude who's yes, saying, uh-huh. get it together. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and certainly, there's an element of that here. Um, but I think it is, it does us good to remember um, that these prophets are talking to a particular people in a particular place um, yep. that, as you said in the intro, the context and the story around what is happening also matter. Yeah. Um, and also what even what uh, the prophet Micah is talking about in this as well. So, um, yeah, let's dive into the to the background a little bit because because there is a lot going on. Um, so the book of Micah is a contemporary of Isaiah, um, written somewhere between 700, 750, um, BCE. And, uh, at least the first three books, I read quite a few things that said this is actually contested that people, be- that scholars definitely agree that the first three books were clearly written by this prophet in this time, but that there is evidence maybe that the other books um, may have come along uh, a little later because they show some uh, post-exilic qualities to them, um, meaning that they would have been written after the time that the Israelites went into uh, exile in Babylonia and then came back. Um, so potentially partly there. If not, but I'm still going to stick with what's what's happening in the, the 8th century BCE because... Um, that that is clearly the intention of the audience would be around them. So the um, at the beginning of Micah, the author you know um, lays out very clearly the the two kings, um, and that that's something I don't know if we've ever talked about on the podcast is you know because we haven't really talked a lot about you know the Deuteronomistic history 
Uh, I think I missed a syllable in that word. <laughs> it's My, yeah, you just say it fast. <laughs> and it's close enough. <laughs> That's how you sound professional. You just say it really, really fast mm -hmm. and confident so, and then everyone believes you. Anyway. Yes, that's also like the pastor trick for all the names. Just all same names. That's what I tell everyone. It's like, just however you decide to say it, that's the way it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, anyways, so um, at, at this point in time in their history, like the Davidic line has totally broken down. Um, and then there are actually, the kingdom is divided into two, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is Israel. The southern kingdom is Judah. Judah is where um, Jerusalem and those kind of things sit. Um, northern kingdom made up of the northern tribes. So, right, so there's, all, there's, the, there's the 12 tribes of Jacob, and then they fight, and they split, and then now we have two kingdoms, um, essentially, after King Solomon uh, dies. It all just kind of goes to hell in a handbasket. Um, and Micah is writing um, from the southern kingdom. Um, and my understanding is the audience is, is both kings. Yes, that was my understanding as well. That Yeah, he's really talking to people in power. And even yes. though the kingdoms yes, are divided. Yes, that's the key piece, right? It's <laughs> yeah. the people in power. Um, and that's even though the kingdoms are divided, that um, God still has something to say to yeah. both of them, to both kingdoms. <laughs> so this particular part is um, called a covenant lawsuit. Uh, essentially, God, it, it's the, essentially God is taking um, the people to court to say, hey, I did all these things for you. So our, our covenant law, right, right, that God did these things and then you do these things, our covenant law, God has done these things. You have not fulfilled your end of the bargain. Um, and so God is really kind of like, you know, throwing down the gauntlet and, and calling out the people or the audience, in this case, the, uh, the, those in, in power. Yeah. And, um, you know, to me, too, with, with that understanding, then, it, it does then have this more, like, relational feel, right? that this this is how we agreed to live together <laughs> and you're not doing that <laughs> yeah you know like perhaps a boundary of god's well, if you I, will i think it's it's beautiful really about you know sort of the way that um you know be, there's no punishment right so like while god may be coming forth and you know um you know sort of bringing a lawsuit against the people for not fulfilling their end of a contract that's there's there's not a there's not a punishment there's not a consequence being doled out, um, and instead you get these most beautiful words. But what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. I mean, like that's the most beautiful response. Um, and you're right. It says something about what does this relationship look like? You know, um, and also to point out that there's a lot of grace and love and mercy in that statement right there. Um, I think often as Christians, we get caught up in thinking that, you know, I, I think you're alluding to this earlier, this Old Testament God is very hard, very rigid, is all law, fire and brimstone. Um, and that it's not until Jesus that we get the love and mercy <laughs> and grace and forgiveness. Um, and, and that's just uh, not true and actually quite offensive to Judaism and their right. faith and relationship with God. Right. And, you know, 
likewise, if, if we see Jesus continuing in this faith that yeah. really he has inherited um, mm -hmm. as, as part of his lineage, um, then we also see, you know, places where Jesus has boundaries around relationships, that there is certain behavior that is not going to be welcome yeah. in a community of faith. Um, well, then let's talk about, I mean, so, so what that is, right? Because I think you're right. That's what God is sort of calling them out on. Um, these are the behaviors that aren't okay. Well, yeah. So, um, you know, with, with the sort of last few verses of this passage, you know, do we need to slaughter all these calves? Do we need to pour out all of our oil? Do we need to give our firstborn yeah. child? You know, um, the translation I was looking at said the fruit of our loins. Yeah. Uh, or my loin. Um, anyway. Uh, and, you know, then the response is, well, no. <laughs> um, and so, you know, to, I, I am struck by how contemporary kind of that line of reasoning is. Um, mm -hmm. That again, often those of us within the church or the religious institution think faithfulness looks like being in church every Sunday or, um, you know, giving the most money and like people knowing <laughs> that we're giving the most money. Um, you know, or having the best attendance at Sunday school. Um, and the response is, no, that's, that's not what God is looking for. God is looking for the way in which we live our lives daily. Um, that it's about um, how we treat one another yeah. in, in the church, but also outside of the church. Um, and what that and, means is, you know, and, and, and what that means, you know, for us to be, to be followers, right? And to be in relationship with God. Um, I, what I, so I went to a, a, a training earlier this week, uh, a boundaries training, actually, um, for the, it was region nine, which is just a part of a physical geographical region, a part of the uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Um, and it was about uh, gender and um, LGBT kind of boundary training, um, and which, by the way, was it was actually like really good. Um, and and I say that like I go to a lot of church trainings. I don't know if I've ever used that feedback for any of them. It was really <laughs> good. <laughs> so if anybody that was participating in that or or I mean you know planned it it. I was impressed. Anyways, um, one of the one of the people that was kind of sharing stories was talking about it was a pastor who, in um, at some point in time, was a part of a um, different Christian church, a different denomination of Lutheran, actually. Um, and they kind of like uh, approached him and uh, said, you know. Uh, we hear that you're gay and you either need to start conversion therapy or we will uh, force you to leave the church and actually do formal like excommunication paperwork. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And you're still here. Um, I, this kind of reminded me of like what, when we're talking about these relationships with God and what does it mean and what are we God is looking for in relationships? You know, it's, these are the things that like, 
some people in the church say that you need to do in these hard and fast and these are the rules and you have to follow them. You have to do everything, blah, 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 or you're out. Um, and I think what we see in this is a God who's not like that at all. It's quite the opposite, right? God's like, no, 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 your job is to love. You know, your job is to help people who are being persecuted, not aid to that persecution. You know, your job is to be humble. And part of being humble is probably um, being humble enough to say that you're not God and don't know who God loves and don't make the rules. Um, that that is indeed what it means to walk humbly with God, right? To let God take it. Um, and and so, I, I don't know, that just kind of, it, something that's struck me. Yeah, and I think that humility piece um, certainly um, can be convicting for anyone who might claim Christianity um, as the way they are following. Um, you know, because I I know myself as well to know that the, um, sometimes. <laughs> My conviction, my uh, desire to be right, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, precedes any grace or humility I might have for other perspectives. Um, so, th so that was something I was struck by as I was reading through this this week. Um, you know, that like, yes, these are nice words and gracious and merciful. <laughs> um, and um, they carry this expectation that that's not just how others should treat me, but how I should carry myself to others too. Yeah, that's the that is that's like the... the trick, right? It's a both and, and so <laughs> I um, I like to think it's not always good for me. I think in my practices, but I like to I cognitively think that it's good that there's a lot of different kinds of Christians because we are never going to all worship the same way or believe the exact same things to be able to sit down with one another um, and agree on things um, that this is the way to do it, right? And so I believe, I do, that it's good that there's a variety of Christians and that each can have a relationship with God, even if I don't agree with it or understand it, and, and vice versa, right? Um, that's the grace that mm -hmm. I, the intelligent part of me, believes. <laughs> and then living that out, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's very different. It's a very different story. Um, because I, you know, I... I you know, like so many get caught up and like, I can't believe that you can tote the name Christian and then, you know, cause that kind of pain. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and how you align that, um, with either the old Testament God or the new Testament God, if you believe that they're different or there was a huge transformation or what that some people do wherever yeah. you're at, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. understand. Well, and I think we should talk about like, what it means to do justice, right? Because for me, yeah. I think too, that's part of where it can really feel like there um, it is a disconnect in how we understand what that means. Um, you know, is 
so can so you, this is can you share with us divine divine justice what is, what yes. is your so um when i think about justice i do think about um the prophetic writings in our scripture which are often um you know these old testament texts and um you know again and again it's it's the call to care for the people who need caring which usually means the marginalized the oppressed the widows the orphans the hungry the naked those in prison um and and to do justice is to do well by them um you know to meet the needs that are not being met um mm -hmm. and so so something i hope people can take from this conversation uh, as we're thinking about micah's place um, in the old testament um is to challenge um what what we say or what comes to mind um when we think about these texts um that that this is a god who is passionate about caring for people and creation and ask the people who follow god to do the same i i'm starting to think of justice as like creating equity um in in that i i think when we think of those that you know I figure out how to best to describe this. So when I when I think creating equity, right? When we talk about equity, is sort of like everyone's at the same playing field. It's not it, equity is different than equality, right? So equality right. is you know everyone gets one loaf of bread. All right. Well, say uh, you know this person's incredibly malnourished. They may need a little bit more bread, and so t to get them to that that same playing field, right? I realize also people can't see my hand gestures, so Melissa's following along. It real. <laughs> you just have to visualize my hand gestures um and so everyone's getting on the the same sort of level level place right and that they may need different varying places to get there that what a just society or what a just world what a just kingdom would look like is if we are all have this you know we're at that same level of equity and so that means different in different places right so that might mean uh you know fighting for for racial justice to actually have some some racial equity um, you know, I, and, and so getting people to this various levels, I started like, that's where I really start to define that. And so when I think that like God wants us to have this justice, this level of equity and to do this justice to, to help others get there, that that's what our calling is. Um, you know, that is a very it's a very clear calling to me and what it is that, that we should be doing, I, I guess, um, you know, for those around us and in creation, as you said, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to draw from another story, um, you know, the story of the manna in the wilderness in Exodus, I think is actually the perfect like theological example of what this looks like. Yeah. Right? Tell us the story. So everyone's on the same page. Yeah. So I, I, I draw on this one a lot. Um, but the the people have just been freed from the egyptians they've made it across the water they're in the wilderness and they're like freaking out about sure, how they're going to eat <laughs> like understandably um and you know they're saying like man at least in egypt like we had food 
<laughs> like we knew we would eat something. Um, anyway, so um, there's always that one person that complains, right? Like I wasn't so bad now, was it? In right. slavery, right? Anyway, right. Sorry. Sorry. How how quick <laughs> we forget <laughs> nostalgia, um, even for <laughs> horrible Ooh. things. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, what what happens then is every day, God um, rains down manna, um, and when they first see it, they're like, "What is this?" Which is literally what manna means. Which I just I love that detail also. <laughs> um, but um, the instruction is that there will be enough for each day that mm-hmm. the tents, the families, the households who need more will get more, and those who need less will get less. Um, and then that before the Sabbath, they will get enough for two days um, so that they won't have to worry about it on the Sabbath day. Um, and if they take more than they need, it goes bad. So they can't use it anyway. Um, and and I, but I think to your point, um, that is a that is, is a what justice looks yes, like. That right? is justice. Everyone gets what they need. Yeah, and there's enough. There is enough for everyone. And there's enough because everyone um, gets what they need. And so, I, so again, so this is if we say this is how God does justice and and you know treats us equity. Um, you know, then we are called to do likewise, right? So, what are we then called to do in this calling for justice? What is our part then? Right. Great question. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's like so, the question. Right. right. Like this is it's what we're doing here. Right. And of course, you know, there are so many things in need of justice um, in our world. And so you know, I think that's that's also where like some of these kinds of teachings can be challenging because here at least we're not told here's the ten step plan of doing justice. <laughs> I don't you know, know. Is, it good, is it a good plan? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and then that would be our next debate, right? Um, <laughs> so so yeah, and this this is where I think you know. The, the gift of being invited into a, re- a relationship is that like we we do have some agency and choice in how to respond um, yeah. and I, I trust that God um, you know works works through us our particular interests or giftedness um, but you know there are lots of different, ways um, Christian communities can be involved in justice. You, you were talking about the racial component. Um, well, I, I think it's also like, what is, you know, what is your, is your mission field? Um, right. What, what is immediately around your church or around you if you're not involved in a church, right? Like what is, what is your mission field, right? Like, do you live in a place that has a, a really high uh, population of refugees? Like that, that seems like the mission field then, right? Or, or you know, for uh, Pastor Melissa, who is on a college campus, a um, lot of work, a lot of work to be done um, there too. Um, there's a lot more people that are going hungry on college campuses than we um, than we actually like to believe. 
Yeah. Yeah. And um, real decisions, you know, that students have to make between paying their bill so they can go to class or, um, you know, get have money for snacks for when they miss the dining hall hours or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, real need there. That's a larger uh, problem. If we want to, so I'm going to, I'm going to go down this rabbit hole too. Just go, you know, grab your pants. Here we go. Um, You know, think about, so like, why, why is this happening? Like, why do we have hungry students and college students? Well, because it's really expensive. Why is it really expensive? Or why are they going if it's really expensive? Right. So there's this, there's the bigger problem, right? There's this, um, there's this societal pressure that you have to have in education to be able to work, contribute to society, whatever. I'm, by the way, I am pro college education all, all the way. But listening that there's larger justice issues taking place on a larger societal level, as there is for much, you know, much of the things right. that we, you know, there's so many people that yes, we we help, we we donate to um, the food shelter, the little little pantries, you know, um, the places that really need it, um, the soup kitchens, everything, right? That is that is on the ground, that is grassroots work. But what is the larger issue, and what would it look like to do justice on that level, right? Yeah. So we have the systemic, you know, we, we've talked about on the podcast before, sort of like you know, you have um, systemic sins, right? Like there are things that just structurally make our world unjust. Um, and yes, help people around you. Also, what does it mean to do justice on that scale? Right, right. And there's that famous um, Desmond Tutu quote that I'm not going to remember all of it, but the the point of it being, um, you know, justice is driving a spoke through the wheel of injustice. It's mm. um, disrupting it. Um, I haven't heard you know, that. Making That's it to beautiful. cease. Yeah. I'll, here, I'll look up the whole quote here when I'm, well, the next time you're talking. <laughs> um, or you can do it while I talk. Um, uh, but, yeah, you should do it because that'd be, be better off. Uh, okay, okay. But yeah, but I yeah. like that. Yeah. I, this is where, you know, I, I, I think also it just makes me think of like larger issues with like climate change. Like I get, you know, the little, little like daily news email update things. And like the one the other day was like having to do with all of the quote unquote natural disasters that are having and that they're actually really due to climate change. And I'm like, the scientists are now saying, I'm like, are they now saying, I think they've been saying that for a while. Like I knew about that a long time ago. Is this news to some people? Um, that we need to be doing something. And so I think about like, okay, everyone is contributing to this injustice to our planet, which ultimately actually still, if you're in an anthropocentric kind of mindset, we've defined that word before. It means human centered, that we are the only people that matter. Um, if you're in that mindset, it is still these things that we're doing to our planet and the natural disasters that are causing are still harming other people. So like, we we need to focus like together on a global level to to do this justice yes yes um and thank thank god for the internet because i must have been reading something else by tutu this week because the quote i was thinking of is actually from bonhoeffer who is not at all the same person um, not even a little bit not from the same place <laughs> nope same time nope arguably they were concerned about issues that yeah have overlap at least. Anyway, the the quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, we are not to simply bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice, 
we are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. Um, so I had the idea just attached to the wrong person. Um, and I don't know, maybe Tutu has a similar line of thought and that's why he was, you know, both theologians who were slash are living in countries that really struggled with some genocidal, um, injustice. Yes. Right. And, you know, I think that helps us to think about justice in some ways apart from like charity, um, that we, we do, we need charity and charity is good, right? That soup kitchens exist. I think that's one of the other things God is saying. That's maybe, you know, that love kindness thing. Yeah. Like that's good. People need to eat. If they're hungry, they need food. That's good. (laughs) But I think part of like a, a next faithful question then is, well, why are people hungry? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, um, <clears throat> why can't families um, afford childcare? <laughs> you know, to ask those questions underneath the yeah. immediate presenting need. Childcare is crazy expensive. Um, I wanted to really quick also in just sort of a Bible study kind of fashion to talk about um, some of the other, you know, kind of people that are mentioned here, Um, you know, sort of as God is setting up their case. They, you know, what do you mean? I brought you out of Egypt, redeemed you from slavery. I sent you uh, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Everyone probably knows who those three are, you know, who Moses is. Aaron and Miriam are his siblings. They, They helped him lead. Um, so this part here, and then the next part um, with King uh, Balak of Moab and uh, the prophet Balaam, um, this section, this chunk comes from Numbers. So what's being quoted right now is um, something that happened in the Book of Numbers. So in the Book of Numbers, this is the this is in between when the Israelite people have been brought up, the the Hebrew people have been brought up out of Egypt, but before they get to their settlement in their promised land by God. Um, so they're still, they were really lost for a while. It took them a long time to figure out how to get there. And so they went through some a generation, territory. basically. Yes, an entire generation. <laughs> it was just it's insane. Anyways, one of the places that they had to go to through to get there uh, was Moab, which is on the, like, the other side of, of the, the Jordan River from, from Israel. Again, I'm doing a lot of hand gestures that no one else is following along. Um, they had to... Anyways, they're in this other territory, and so they're kind of, like, there for a while. And the king of that area, uh, Balak, was like, oh, I don't want these people here. Didn't like them, didn't want them near there, um, had some huge issues with them hanging out in Moab. So he goes to this prophet, uh, Balaam, and was like, hey, who's not a, um, he's one of the prophets that is not an Israelite prophet. Um, I don't remember what tribe he's part of. I should have written that down, I think, and I did not. I want to say Hittite, maybe, but I might be misquoting. Not sure. I'm not sure. Anyways, um, Ghost of Allah was like, hey, I want you to curse these people and, um, you know, for being here. And so uh, he talks to God, who's like, no, those are the Israelites. Those are my people. We bless them. We like them. We love them. Um, and so, <laughs> which, I mean, that whole exchange is a great story as well. It, it is. Uh, it's in numbers. 22 is where 22. it starts. 22. Yes. Look at her. She's just knowing this stuff. Or, or... I mean, I did have that written down. You also, <laughs> good for you. You take better notes than I do. 
<laughs> it is a fun story anyways. Um, but no, so this is sort of the, the answer that they're giving them. And so this is what um, the, the prophet Micah is calling upon this story from the book of Numbers to, you know, give an example of what the author is trying to get them to understand. Yeah. And as uh, perhaps an aside, um, you know, besides that just being a powerful um, reminder of what God does, um, I also love that it shows how God is also at work outside of the people of Israel, right? Or Judah. Yeah, so that's, um, I, I know, I think I've mentioned it before, because I've definitely talked about it in, um, I know I've talked about it I've, in classes I've taught and stuff and at churches, but I think I'm pretty sure I mentioned it in the podcast and understand that, like, the, most of the Old Testament stories, the Hebrew Bible, is is focused on a particular group of people, the Israelite people. So those that can trace their lineage um, back to uh, back to Jacob, back to uh, specifically back to, to Jacob, um, because the other many of the other tribes that are mentioned in the Bible are still some sort of descendant of these same people and do also have the same God, right? So like, um, you know, the ones that are descendants of uh, Noah's son Ham, the ones that are descendants of um, Abraham's other children, because Abraham has, you know... At least all one the, other son. You hear all the yeah. time that, like, Abraham sacrificed his only son. Well, he didn't. I mean, like, yeah, and he, he had... Yeah, I get it. That was his special kid. Um, but he had at least six other kids that are named in the Bible, right? And so, like, they also become... Well, at least the men. We don't know. He could have had daughters. There, No one cared. Um, he at least has six other sons um, who then also become fathers of other tribes in the area, um, some of whom then become the, the, the forebears of uh, Islam as well and settled in that area, and they're still there. Um, which is why they're still fighting with the Israelites on the other side of the river. Um, and so, like, it's it's a messy, complicated yeah. history, right? But to understand that, like, this is the story, the particular story of this God's relationship, of God's relationship with this group of people. Um what that doesn't mean is that God doesn't have relationships with these other groups mm -hmm. of people and right. doesn't manifest in different ways and have their own stories and stuff. And that's the part that I think that we aren't great at remembering. Right. And, you know, I think that is a really important um, part of this, what we call this season after epiphany, if you're following liturgical mindedness, um, that there's in Matthew then this story of foreign sages who, you know, read the sign of the times and talk to the wise ones in Israel and, you know, seem to figure out what's going on um, and bear witness to God revealing God's self in Jesus. Um, and so... Are you talking about the quote wise men? Yes, yeah. I started calling them... Um, uh, wizards. Ah, that, that's yeah. actually a pretty accurate translation. They're wizards. Yeah, um, because again, we don't know that there were only three men. <laughs> like that's something that yep. 
sort of entered the folklore <laughs> later on. But in, in scripture, it's not. They have nice hats just... that came with camels. That's what all the pictures <laughs> tell me. Mm-hmm. They're little boxes. Um, That's not written down anywhere, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, but so, so part of this, like, re- God's self-revelation um, is... Uh, you know, to, to all people, to all creation. Um, so again, like coming back to maybe this humility thing, <laughs> like it's well, not yeah, just so about it, us. <laughs> right. But then also, so like you kind of named it when we think about, um, you know, kind of drawing back to early in our conversation about different kinds of Christians, right? Like we still, there, there are also different other, other, you know, groups of people that, you know, uh, worship God in their own way. Um, they have different books. They had different prophets, right? But like God still is revealing God's self to them. I, I don't know. This is this might be slightly off topic, or but to just just think about like the different ways that like God manifests in this world to different people. Yeah. Well, and I think so. Like, just as a Christian, I will speak from experiences with Christians, I think there are times where we get like real nervous <laughs> about like these kinds of conversations. And, and so as we're entering this, I just want to say, um, you know, I think we can and should both be able to have, you know, our understandings, our experiences of how God moves in our lives and still be able to hold space and say, but that doesn't mean this is how you have experienced God or that, you know, my theological lens works for you. Right. Um, I think, I think we can, we can hold both at the same time that, mm-hmm. um, so. I do. I would say like, yes. And like, maybe there's, this is where we draw a caution in having these conversations is there's, there's a limit, right? There is a, a way that, some people do things that I don't think God is talking to them, even though they think that. Yes. Yes. Um, and two, maybe that, you know, brings us back to the messiness of <laughs> what it would have been like to be <laughs> the people that Micah was living with. Like, it's complicated. <laughs> Yeah, and when they all have, like, kind of different stories about things, I could see that, you know, causing a little bit of problems. Was there, was there more you wanted to say about that? Or do we have no, more I, caveats? No, I think pretty much clear. Okay. Yeah, that's just... <laughs> we'll leave that one vague, just in case. Sure. Uh, yep. Well, well, why don't we, like, continue this circular thinking and go back to where we started about... Tell me, um, tell me. Like... We, we do understand that there are boundaries and perhaps expectations around behavior. Um, that And so let, let's, maybe we'll draw our conversation back to Christianity, <laughs> since that's probably what the two of us can it, speak on. <laughs> yeah, that's what I know the best, really. <laughs> right, right. Um, that, sure, you can, you can have different ideas about you know, what God does, what God wills. Um, but I think uh, in, for a certainly Christian understanding, um, and I think as both of us speak from ELCA contexts, um, 
that to say that God is loving, um, we mean like things that actually feel like love, mm-hmm. right? Um, that we're not, we're not using like love as a mask or in order to get love, you have to do You this. have to do these things, um, yeah. Whereas we would say, no, no, we, we start from a place of love, right? That God names us and claims us because we are beloved of God. Because that is already true. We don't mm-hmm. make that true. It is. Yes. That is the way we approach that. Yeah. I and I would say, like, for us, yeah. that would be a boundary, <laughs> then, about how we treat other people. Um, yeah. That... Um, and that actually so draws into this whole thing about, like, sacrifice, right? So we, we, we have a way of thinking about sacrifice, but then there's also an uh, understanding about ways that we sacrifice others. So I think about if we're talking about like systems of justice and injustice, right? Um, and where is it that we sacrifice people on the tables of injustice? I think particularly um, in American capitalism, we sacrifice um, uh, poor and marginalized people on the altar of capitalism all the time. And I think these are the kinds of you know the kinds of sins that God is calling out and saying, you know, what it means to do justice is not this. It's not sacrificing. Others and so I, that's just one example of when I think about um, what that means to come from a, a place of love. Yeah, and you know, um, I think sort of the per- perfect examples of this like are still uh, like coming out as we're in whatever we're calling this era. Maybe post pandemic, <laughs> we could probably debate about that as well. But you know, like we have said there are, you know, all of these people who hold jobs that are invaluable, right? Our healthcare folks and um, fast food, grocery store, um, sanitation, all those people um, who, yeah, we have said are essential on that life as we know it would not continue without them. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, then turn around and say, well, you don't deserve to be paid a living wage for this job. Yeah. Or you think about rail workers. You don't deserve sick days. <laughs> so I think, I mean, that is uh, a, a great reminder of how very practically in ways uh-huh. that affect like real people, um, this kind of thinking and practice like continues contemporarily. So I remember, um, it was last year sometime, or maybe close to the end of 2020, it was about the time that, like, you know, people were starting to really kind of go back to work, um, but there were still a lot of places that, like, they hadn't really got their shit together and couldn't figure out, like, safe, like, ways to actually, like, ensure their employees stay safe and things like that. And so people were opting, because it was still an option at that time, to, like, still kind of do some unemployment um, rather than go back to work. And I remember there was this... It was a casino in um, Atlantic City, New Jersey. So a casino, people that aren't hurting for money by any stretch of the word. 
um, was complaining that they couldn't do things. They couldn't open half their restaurants, rooms, blah, blah, blah. They couldn't do capacity because they didn't have enough employees coming back to work. That people were, people would rather sit on their couch than go to work, right? And so the argument coming from a certain side um, of the political spectrum was like, well, these are all the lazy Americans who'd rather sit at home and collect unemployment, and that unemployment's too high. It, clearly, if they can make more on unemployment, then they can doing their jobs. And I said, okay. Or think about it this way. What does that tell us about the service industry and other places? Mm -hmm. Because unemployment is not a lot of money. It's not a livable wage. What does that tell you then about those jobs? That those people are better off at home than they are doing their jobs. Maybe that means we're not paying people well enough. Maybe this multi-billion dollar casino and the rich man who's complaining on television should be paying his employees better and trying to take care of them if he wants them to work there. Okay, that was a, just a soapbox yes. speech that I yes. needed to give about, <laughs> about that. Yes, but and exactly. Um, you know, I think the one of the questions this uh, passage inspires is, um, is this what God desires? Yeah. Is it? Yeah, and I think that that's exactly what we are called in. What does it mean to do justice? That we are called into having these conversations. If we are called into, you know, trying to make the world a more equitable place for everyone, for all of creation, then yeah, it's throwing some, it's breaking the spokes. Right, and um, again, the the power of recalling God's own action in that. Right, that just as God liberates, yes. we liberate. Um, as God feeds the people, right here we in feed their the legal people. argument. Said, so "Listen, yep. I did this. I am asking you also to do this." Right. All right. This, yeah. I, I'm gonna say. I'm gonna leave it there. Say amen. Amen. Go out and do some justice. Yeah, let us know. Are there comments on this thread? I don't know how you post this. Some places allow comments now. Like, uh, I mean, like, you can always go to, like, our Facebook page or Instagram and write comments um, anytime. Um, I believe Spotify does allow you to do sort oh. of a Q&A kind of, like, commenting section. No one ever has, but it's an option. I think that's the only one that at least I can see that, like, it would come to me that I would get a message that said so-and-so said this. Um, but you can always, you know, do it on one of our social media platforms. I would love to hear, love to hear, um, your thoughts. Yeah. Anyway. Like, how are you practicing you. justice? Yeah. Well, thanks, Pastor Melissa, for inviting that of our audience. I, I love it. I appreciate it. And thanks for, um, talking with us today. Um, all the way, um, from Campus Ministries office. Yes. Yes. Thanks for having me. Always fun. Uh, yeah. just a, a great podcast to be part of. Hi. Well, I appreciate that. Well, um, uh, listeners, thanks so much for joining us again. Um, please, I'm just going to give a shout out to, to share the podcast. Um, even if you share it once on your story, um, anything, you know, just to, to help us kind of spread the word around, um, so that we can, um, help more folks kind of wrestle and have these fun conversations. Um, you can learn more at uh, 10 and find us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Podcast and wherever you listen to podcasts. You should definitely follow us on Instagram because 
Um, like right now or in the very near future, there's gonna be some podcast giveaways. Woo woo! So head over to Instagram and check that out. All right, uh, the Ten Football Podcast is a ministry of the Delaware Maryland Synod. To learn more, go to demdsynod.org. Take care, everyone.